Please join me now in Luke chapter 2, and let's talk about Christmas joy in an imperfect world. They tell us this is the most wonderful time of the year, and we don't dispute it. It's a wonderful time of the year, but we wouldn't call it perfect, but we do like the traditions that we've added to the Christmas season. I mean, we enjoy even going around just looking at lights. There are a lot of things that are just delightful and sweet about this time of year, but it's not perfect. Never has been perfect. In fact, this year, we're doing Christmas in the midst of a worldwide pandemic, and a pandemic that's spiking even right now at this time of year. If you're like me, you have many people that you know now who have had COVID-19. We know people who have passed away from it. We know of sister churches that are going through what we went through a few months ago, but they're in it right now, really, we'd say at the worst possible time. So I have friends who are in ministry who they had to not meet today because COVID is active in their congregation. They won't meet on Christmas Eve. They have to stay in the quarantine mode really through the remainder of 2020. But even if we weren't in a worldwide pandemic, we know that any Christmas, it's not ideal like we would want it to be. Someone is always missing at Christmas. It's rare when you would have had a year when everybody dear to you would be there around the tree or around the table. Somebody's missing. This year, the inability to travel for many of us or to have people travel into us, someone's missing. Maybe somebody in your family's in the military and they're gone. Maybe somebody you love is in the hospital and, and that's a place you don't want to be at Christmas time. And so there is this awareness that we can't make Christmas perfect like we feel like it ought to be. Or maybe you're going through an illness this Christmas, and that just hurts worse at Christmas when you're sick and fighting some disease. Or maybe you're having relationship troubles, and you think everything ought to be perfect, but it's not. Maybe somebody in your life is foolishly ensnared in sin, and they won't see it, they won't repent, and they're causing pain to themselves and everybody around them. And how about this? Financial trouble. When you have financial trouble, it's never fun. Never easy, but then you come into this season, and it just hurts even worse. So, so what do you do if you look at your Christmas experience, and it's not shaping up to look like the front of a Hallmark Christmas card? What do you do? If your Christmas isn't looking like a Hallmark Christmas movie, what do you do? And here's what you do. You look back to the first Christmas. Before it became a holiday, look back to that first Christmas. We're going to look together in Luke 2, and I want you, as we look at this familiar passage, this wonderful passage, I want you to consider with me all that went wrong that first Christmas, along with all that went right. So hear this with fresh ears this morning. Follow along with me in your Bible, Luke 2, verses 1 through 20. You're looking for what went wrong and what went right. Now, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. 
In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth among men, peace among men with whom he is pleased. And when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And so they came in a hurry, and they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. So consider with me, first of all, what went right that first Christmas before it was a holiday? Well, we see that the scriptures were fulfilled, that these prophets, the prophets who talked about a Messiah coming, all that now fulfilled there in Bethlehem. The long-awaited Messiah had come. We see it that first Christmas, long before it was a holiday, we see a faithful young man and young woman following the plan of God for them as they are used to bring the Savior into the world. And we see angels. And these angels are blown away at what God is doing to bring about a Savior for mankind. And a night of praise and worship erupts there outside of Bethlehem. So the most stunning event in human history up to that point had happened. Emmanuel, God with us there in a baby, a mission to rescue people from their sins. That's what went right. And we're going to come back to that in a moment. But with me right now, I hope you'll consider with me the things, at least from our perspective, the things that went wrong that first Christmas. Now, part of the problem for us, when we go through something we don't like at Christmas, we, we feel a bit cheated. And I think the wonderful songs of our Christmas tradition, I think they're partly to blame because these songs are so idyllic. And they stir up for us this sense of expectation that things should be perfect. I mean, just think about some of the songs with me. And so here's a list of the top ten Christmas songs. Now, this is debatable because anybody can create a top ten list of Christmas songs. But here's one list. Let's go from ten down to one. Song number ten, have a holly jolly Christmas. There it is. That's the type of Christmas you're supposed to have, a holly jolly Christmas. Song number nine, O Holy Night. Song number eight. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Sadly, I checked the forecast this morning. Unless it changes, not expecting a white Christmas here. Song number seven, rocking around the Christmas tree. That's a happy song. Number six, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Song number five, have yourself a merry little Christmas. Number four, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. And then uh, number three, the Christmas Canon by Trans-Siberian Orchestra. 
Number two, the Christmas song. This is the one that talks about chestnuts roasting on an open fire. It's a great song. And then the number one song on this list for Christmas is White Christmas by Bing Crosby. They're all fun. They're all warm. These are beautiful songs. And, and they make us feel like it should be perfect. But actually, as I look at some of the words to the songs, these and some others, I found that there are some songs that have a lot of realism to them about the harshness of life. And not just grandma got run over by a reindeer. That is harsh. But even the classic song sung by Judy Garland, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, very realistic. We're told that she sang it to soldiers in World War II, far from home, and it brought tears to their eyes. Listen to this song through the ears and eyes of a World War II soldier. Hear this. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. Catch this. Next year, all our troubles will be out of sight. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Make the Yuletide gay. Next year, all our troubles will be miles away. Once again, as in olden days, happy golden days of yore, faithful friends who are dear to us will be near to us once more. Someday soon, we will all be together if the fates allow. Until then, we'll have to muddle through somehow, so have yourself a merry little Christmas now. When you think about the context there, you think, oh, that's very real. Longing for a better time maybe next year does cause us to want to remember our servicemen and women and our missionaries who are scattered around the world far from family. Even Bing Crosby's famous song, I'll Be Home for Christmas, also in that context of World War II. And catch the last line, I'll be home for Christmas if only in my dreams. And so here's a reminder to us, if we're having hardship around December 25th, we're not alone. And we're not really being cheated. Remember, the promise of Christmas is not a perfect holiday. It's a perfect Savior. And that's who we have in Jesus Christ. We do have Emmanuel, God with us, even now in the troubles that we have. And so it's essential for us to remember that first Christmas to get the right perspective on what has been promised to us in truth. So let's think about what went wrong that first Christmas. Christmas. And I think there's comfort here for us. First of all, what went wrong? Well, it happened in the first century. I thought about this a lot through the years. If I were God choosing when to come in flesh onto the earth, I would not have chosen that time. Not the first century. I I would have probably chosen, if I'm just thinking about my own comfort, I would have thought year 2000 or later, right? Because I like a lot of things that that weren't there in the first century. I like indoor plumbing, I'm not going to come to the earth when there's no indoor plumbing, the hot showers and all that. Listen, if I'm, if I'm coming as a baby, I'm coming after the disposable diaper has been invented. I, I want central air. I want better transportation. And yet we look at our God and he chose this time. This was the sovereign, perfect time for his coming. One scholar said it this way, life was difficult at that time, just as it is today. Taxes were high. Unemployment was high. Morals were slipping lower, and the military state was in control. Roman law, Greek philosophy, and even Jewish religion could not meet the needs of men's hearts. Then God sent his son. So to us, we say, that's not a good time to come, 
But this was the perfect time. This was God's sovereign choice of when he would come. And so likewise, your circumstances that you're experiencing now that you don't like, and you rightly don't like them, but you're not outside of the sovereign plan of God either. Nothing is touching you in your life right now that God has not sovereignly allowed into your life, even those, even those painful things. And God has promised to use even those things for his glory. And even ultimately, though you may not see it yet, even for your ultimate good. Romans 8, 28, it's a promise. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So what went wrong that first Christmas Oh, it happened in the first century, but also under Roman rule. The Jewish people, the people of Israel did not want to be under the bondage, under the oppression of the Roman Empire. This was a pagan empire, and they wanted to be liberated from it, but this is the time when Jesus came. And here is this evidence of it, is we have the Caesar, the emperor, calling for a census. And he would do this every 14 years. And people would go back to the place of their birth or where they still maintain property, and they would have to register there. And this came at the least convenient time possible for Mary and Joseph as they are forced to go back. And here she is, great with child, and they go there. But notice this with me. Even though it's a pagan evil empire of the Roman Empire, this was God's means to get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem to, to fulfill Micah 5.2, the birthplace of of the Messiah told centuries before. A pagan emperor with his decree made that prophecy come true. But not only that, even at the end of Jesus's life, we see that this evil pagan empire, the Roman Empire, was God's means for fulfilling Isaiah 53, where we're told that this one born was going to suffer for us, that he would be pierced through for our transgressions. And so God sovereignly used the, the wicked means of execution of the Roman Empire where Jesus would spill his blood for us on that Roman cross. And then even after the resurrection of Jesus, the spread of the gospel was enhanced even because God had used this pagan empire over that part of the world. There was peace over that part of the world because the Romans had dominated it. And so the spread of the gospel, though through persecution, was able to go because there were not wars in that part of the world. The common Greek language was in place because of this pagan empire there. So spreading the gospel with people who would speak the same language was going on because of the Romans and that Roman road system built for their military but useful as the gospel went from place to place. We're just saying what went wrong for our vantage point, first century, Roman rule. We'd add to the things that went wrong, we'd say Herod's rule. Who was Herod? Well, he was more like a governor. He was over one of the Roman provinces here, and he considered himself to be the king of the Jews, and you know the story. Sometime after the birth of Jesus, sometime later, these wise men, the Magi, come saying, we saw a star, we want to worship the one who's been born king of the Jews, and Herod wanted nothing of that. In fact, he wanted to know who this is, and we're going to wipe him out, and you remember he did. He sent for soldiers to kill all those two and under in Bethlehem. Of course, God had warned Joseph and Mary, and they had moved on beforehand. But they think that is not idyllic. That is brutal. That is savage. And these are the events around what we consider the first Christmas. And we see here a death threat on Jesus, the first of many that he would face until 33 years later he would indeed die on the cross for the sins of the world. 
What else went wrong that first Christmas? This is significant. There's no room in the inn. So this was not an ideal trip. It's Mary and Joseph making a, a, a journey of about 80 miles from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. And you know the times it was going to be by foot or by some animal they're making the trip. So our song tells us we need to be home for the holidays, and we do prefer it. But they're not home for the holidays. And then when they get there, there's no decent room in which to stay. So many people forced back to Bethlehem at the same time. There's just not enough places for the people coming into that small town. And any makeshift inns that might have been put up, not enough room, there's no place. And certainly no suitable place for a baby to be born. And so let's just pause here and let's just ponder that. We say something broke down here. Something went wrong. Now think about it. For centuries, God had said through the prophets that the Messiah is coming. The prophet Micah even tells us, because God told him, it's going to be Bethlehem. We've already said this is the sovereign exact time, but come on, not, not even a place? So did God fail to reserve a room for the coming of the Savior? Is that a breakdown in planning? We say, absolutely not. There's never a breakdown in God's planning. Notice this. This is exactly where God wanted Mary and Joseph to be and the birth of Jesus to take place, in a stable. Many scholars say it was like a cave-likely stable, and there behind someone's house, this is where God ordained that the Savior of the world would be born. Where the King of kings, the Lord of lords, where is he going to be by design, precisely where God wanted in that less than ideal place from our perspective? Don't you, don't you love that? That, that when, when God became flesh and dwelt among us in the person of Jesus, he came all the way down to us. Put himself in the most humble of places, coming as a baby. How humble is that? And then this, what else went wrong? No suitable cradle. So those of you who are parents or grandparents, when you're expecting a little one, man, you start, you start shopping and you get excited because you're going to make a really nice nursery if you can. At least that crib is going to be as comfortable as it can be and bright and colorful. And you're going to get one of those little musical mobiles over the top there because this is your kid. This is your grandkid. And here is the Savior of the world, God taking on human flesh. And his first bed is a manger. What's a manger? It's a feeding trough. It's a feed box. And at least in my house, my little manger sets, it looks pretty comfortable. <laughs> Not ideal. But here is the humility of Christ. And then the last of these things, and we could probably list others, but what went wrong? If you're an introvert, you'd say, well, a bunch of uninvited guests show up. Because there come the shepherds. We're already having a baby in a stable. No, no. That's actually not negative at all. Mary and Joseph would have gotten this. What confirmation. I mean, the angels already told Mary and Joseph. So, so Mary, did you know? Yeah, Mary knew. This is an incredible baby. I'm carrying the Savior of the world. She knew all that because the angels had told her that. But how sweet when the shepherds show up and say, hey, angels just came to us on the hillside and told us all about this baby. And they came to worship. Man, that's, that is awesome. But let's just go back to when things aren't going like you want them to go in life, especially at Christmas, listen, we just remind ourselves there's still reason for great joy. In fact, the angels here give us all the content we need for praise and rejoicing, even in the midst of very real problems 
very real tears that we can have. Listen to the content and the reason why you and I, even in our sufferings, can raise up and worship our Savior. Look at verse 10 again. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Notice verse 13, he goes on. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. What's the angel say? In the midst of problems, here's some good news of great joy. Let that sink in. The announcement is, is not, hey, something pretty nice just happened. This is good news. This is great joy. There's nothing small at all about what happened that first Christmas. Christmas is about something great. Christmas is about someone great. And that's what the angels are so excited to announce. He said, this news is, is great news and it's for all the people. And there is a Savior. The great news is, the great joy is there's a Savior for all the people. A Savior from what? He's to save us from our sins. A Savior has come to remove our guilt from us. A Savior has come to take the punishment that you and I deserve. Again, the link from the stable to the cross. That's what this Savior came to do. He's to set us free from our slavery to sin. This is a Savior who's going to give us eternal life, who's going to take us from here one day to the perfections of heaven in the presence of God himself. And who is this Savior? He tells us, the angel says, it's Christ, the Lord. Christ, that's that word for Messiah. This is the one that the prophets have been talking about for centuries. And this is the good news of great joy. The Messiah has come, and he is indeed Lord. That's a statement of his deity. This is God in flesh. This indeed is Emmanuel. This is God with us. And so the shepherds, they heard this news, and they do what anybody who's paying attention would do with that news. Notice this. The shepherds, after they went and saw Jesus and Mary and Joseph, said the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as had been told them. There, there's our example. In an imperfect world, there's, there's our Christmas joy, that worship, that rejoicing. And so we should look back to that first Christmas and we should look at the grand truths that have been given to us that supersede all the real tragedies and sorrows that we have. Let's remember in our problems, in a pandemic, here's our reminder, this earth in its present state is not really our home. All our problems should have us longing not for another place on this earth or not for another year on this earth. Our true home is off of this earth as we await the new earth. Jesus came to rescue us from our sins and to take us from these difficult circumstances in due time. But in the meantime, aren't you glad we have God with us? He is with us. He entered into all this problem and all this sin, this harsh, cruel world. Jesus came to it, lived here, can relate to what we're going through because he loves us, but he has brought us salvation to take us from here in due time. And so this angelic announcement gives us all the reason to rejoice. And so let me ask you, this Christmas, where is your focus? 
Maybe it's looking back to a Christmas you had 5, 10, 15 years ago. Oh, that was Christmas. And by the way, that's not a bad thing to do. Memories are awesome. So think about those sweet times. Maybe when it was more perfect, that's fine. But that shouldn't be your focus. Maybe your focus is on your neighbors or those commercials that make you think your neighbors have it perfect. You think, I don't think my Christmas is going to be like that. It's not going to be a December to remember like that. And maybe your gaze is on what you feel like you don't have compared to what other people have. That, that should not be your focus. Let your focus be that first Christmas and what was promised to you there in Jesus Christ and what he is saving you to. This Jesus, this Savior will soon wipe every tear away from your eyes. This Jesus will soon take you home to the perfections of heaven. Jesus purchased that for you on the cross after coming so humbly there in the stable. And so let's be like Mary and Joseph. What a humble first Christmas, huddled in a cave stable around a baby in a feeding trough, and they're just wondering at the goodness of God. You can do that this Christmas. Or maybe like the shepherds who didn't even get the day off. They go back from seeing Jesus, back to their sheep, and it says they are glorifying God. They are praising God. That can be you this Christmas. And I, how about these angels? They're amazed that God would be so good to sinful human beings. And they're just ecstatic. And they are singing glory to God in the highest. So let me give you these points of application here. First of all, what do you do in response to Christmas? Trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. If you have never humbled yourself, turned from sin, and trusted in Jesus, you need to do that. That's your move. That's what Christmas is about. Not a holiday, but your response to a Savior. So coming up in a couple of days, you're going to be giving presents. And maybe one of those presents is kind of special. And when you give a special gift to somebody, don't you try to kind of catch their eyes? You want to know, did the gift land? Do they appreciate it? You're looking at their eyes. And you want to see if they appreciate it. God has offered you the greatest gift of all. Good news of great joy. A savior from your sins. One who can give you everlasting life. Nothing you hope for is better than that. And he's made the offer. And listen, God is looking at your eyes. He's looking at your heart. Are they going to receive this gift or not? You need a savior. Listen, among all your sins, and you have millions of them as I do. But your greatest sin would be to hear this offer that God wants to forgive you, He wants to save you, He wants to adopt you, and He meets eyes with you with that offer, and you go, don't really want it. That apathy is your greatest sin. That outright rejection of a Savior out of His great love for you, to do all this for you, to go, I didn't really want that. I just want to watch. It's like, a, it's like something. That's the ultimate rejection of him. So listen, trust in Jesus. Don't be that person any longer. Tell him, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for chasing everything else. I now come to you. I receive you, Jesus, as the treasure of my life. I need you to forgive my sin. I need the gift of everlasting life. I'll make that move to Jesus. Now let me speak to those of you who are Christians already. You need to return to Jesus. This has been a difficult year. That's an understatement. A pandemic and then a political year all at the same time. A lot of anger, a lot of division, a lot of opinions flying around everywhere. And maybe you got caught up in all that and got distracted from Jesus. You, you've, you were searching for some other false hope this year, and you find yourself very far from God. You say, I don't even feel him. Listen, that's not on God's side. God is still there 
but that's you having chased everything else all this year, got mad about a lot of other things, and you find your heart cold, here's the invitation to you, return to Jesus. He is your hope. This is good news of great joy. Nothing else that we've been told about all year. He's the one. He's the treasure. Repent. Tell him, Lord, I, I have been distracted. For all, with all these lesser things, I'm ashamed. Tell him. You can tell God. He already knows it. I'm ashamed. I'm embarrassed. God, how could I have lost my focus a whole year? In the pandemic's no excuse, Lord, I'm sorry. I, I run home to you. Let me ask you this. When's the last time you rejoiced like these shepherds here? Is that word even in your vocabulary? I rejoice in Jesus. I have great joy in Jesus. If, that, if that's not you, then you've let yourself chase the wrong things. You have chased, you have chased emptiness. Oh, run home. He will, he will have you back, prodigal. Run home to Jesus. So trust Jesus. Return to Jesus. Oh, and this message, this is good news, isn't it? For all people. The angels were right. This isn't just for us. And so be on the alert. Look for opportunities to share this message of good news with people on your street and all around the world. And then, of course, let's sing it. In just a moment, we're going to sing a final song. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Let's, let's sing that and mean it as we lock in on Jesus, the true treasure for us. But right now, let me lead us in prayer.